the strategies for, for keeping Bitcoin secure and keeping Lightning secure are really pretty different. And so we realized that we really needed, there was something missing and that much more had to be do, done for Lightning because it's uh, fundamentally more challenging than Bitcoin. The secrets are in a smaller program that's running on a more secure computer. Uh, very specifically, it doesn't have thousands of connections to many other nodes. Like it only has a single connection to the the one node that it's protecting, we have to be able to do all of the signing operations and store all of the necessary secrets using multi-party computation. Uh, so that's where Taproot and Usig and Frost come in. All of a sudden, companies like Netflix are going to have, you know, 50 gallon drums filled with nickels filling really fast. And so <laughs> they're going to need VLS to, to be secure. You know, if there's no money at all, then there's no danger and no one cares. But as soon as there's money to be stolen, the people who steal money will come. Uh, so you need to increase your security game. Ken Sedgwick is a software engineer on the Validating Lightning Signer project, a project focused on improving Lightning custody by separating keys from nodes in a discrete signing device. In our conversation, we explored what VLS is, why it is important to the Lightning ecosystem. We talked about why it is much harder to build discrete signing devices on Lightning rather than on chain. We talked about some of the challenges that are being solved to enable seamless multi-party signing on Lightning nodes. And we talked about the future of custody and security on the Lightning network. If you enjoy this episode and if you learn something new, the best way you can show your support for this show is by sending in sats over the Lightning network. You can use any podcasting 2.0 app to do that. There are dozens of them out there, but my favorite one to use is Fountain. Before we get into today's show, just a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning node infrastructure. Today's show is also sponsored by Stackwork. And Stackwork is a Lightning-powered transcription tool that takes the best of AIs and humans to create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. We'll have more from Voltage and Stackwork later in the show. Ken, welcome to the show. I am so excited to talk about VLS and the work you're doing. But before we get into all of that, let's start with your background. Can you give folks a little understanding of your life prior to, <laughs> let's say, Bitcoin? So I was a, a, a software engineer. Actually, originally my degree was in hardware engineering, um, but that only lasted for a few years before I switched to software. Um, and then for many, many years, I worked in Unix uh, threading, parallel processing, so mostly throughput engineering for stuff in the, the back racks. Um, in the 90s, I became a consultant and did lots and lots of consulting since then. Um, again, mostly Unix, mostly threading, uh, performance, tuning, fixing bugs, that kind of stuff. In, uh, tw I don't know, 2011 or something, I, I had been hearing about Bitcoin. Um, and then in 2013, I heard about it again and I said, now, wait a minute, <laughs> this must be real because look at all this market cap they have. If, you know, if it was broken and you could trivially take it, then it wouldn't have that value. And so I took a really, um, uh, long look at it, detailed, got involved, um, and then decided, okay, I want to, I want to uh, do more of this. Um, and so I wrote a, an Android wallet. So uh, I was inspired by uh, Electrum. I said, this is the way um, wallets should be, but we really need an Android solution. And so I 
set a goal of trying to learn things and meet people <laughs> and wrote a, wrote a wallet. Um, and eventually the, I, you know, decided not to be the wallet provider, uh, to end all wallet providers, but in, but I did meet people and learn things. And in that, uh, in wallet development, I met Dev Random, who's the other uh, co-founder of VLS. And we've worked on, I don't know, half a dozen different projects over the years. Um, and then most recently in 20, I'm going to get the dates wrong, but 2017 or something, um, right before VLS, we did a company named Base Zero, which was uh, oriented towards Bitcoin custody. So helping enterprises and um, finance companies who were not familiar with Bitcoin uh, trying to teach best practices and offer hardware and software to do that well. So we're, uh, DevRandom and myself are both very custody oriented. So wallets, um, how to keep it safe, security engineering. There's a whole bunch of related things that you have to uh, be good at in order to completely secure Bitcoin. Um, then we started thinking about Lightning. <laughs> And I mean, that's where it gets really interesting because the strategies for, for keeping Bitcoin secure and keeping Lightning secure are really pretty different. And so we realized that we really needed, there was something missing and that much more had to be do, done for Lightning because it's uh, fundamentally more challenging than Bitcoin in a bunch of ways. Um, so to should I just keep going here. <laughs> that, that's great. If I'm on a good trajectory, there's, there's I, more I have here. so many questions already, but uh, first... I want to hear more about some of these companies you started in between from the first wallet to uh, VLS. You said well, there was about half a dozen companies you guys had worked on. Projects. Only one company. Um, in, in fact, it's oh, okay. important to say VLS is not a company. VLS is an open source project. There is no uh, corporate anything. Um, we are looking for people to join us and help. Uh, everything is completely open. Yada, yada, yada. Um, Base Zero, the thing before VLS, was a company. Um, and that was a company focused on making hardware and software solutions for doing custody. Uh, prior to that, uh, something worth mentioning, we did a colored coins effort back in 2014, uh, with Peter Todd. Um, and we learned a whole bunch there. That was really pretty fun and, um, met people yeah. and learned things. <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> so That's awesome. Yep. So talk to me about lightning. What, what first drew you to lightning and, and made you think to yourself, yeah, I've got to be building on this. This is, this is the next interesting thing worth working on. Well, well, Bitcoin is, is wonderful, of course, but it has several things that it doesn't do terribly well um, because it's decentralized. So it's, you know, it's a trade-off, but in order to, to be decentralized, it loses out in um, performance and then some cost issues. And so when I first learned about Lightning, it's like a big aha. Oh, this fixes the you know three biggest problems of Bitcoin, maybe? It certainly fixes uh, uh, latency. So you can imagine fast transactions with Lightning where you can really not imagine them with Bitcoin. Um, and then you can imagine the fees can drop to very, very little with uh, Lightning. Should be you know less than a percent. So probably not enough to even think about very much. And then finally, there's some auxiliary benefits to Lightning. So it improves privacy in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, there's other things, but uh, <clears throat> but it became clear to me, and I think DevRandom as well, that it was essential for Lightning to succeed in order for Bitcoin to succeed. So we, um, just like in networking and operating systems and other things, you build things in stacks where the lower levels are 
fundamental and simple and primitive, and then you get more refined and uh, add more features as you uh, as you stack things up. And so Lightning is a natural level two for Bitcoin, which brings very important features. Um, and so it's critical. As we looked at it, we then went, oh boy, the security is harder though. <laughs> so, and so thus uh, VLS, we started talking about how, what you do to secure it and what do you need. Um, and a reoccurring theme was that since Lightning wallets are hot, meaning that they must have the key material readily available and you know constantly using them. So even when they're not terribly active, they still need to uh, sign things because the fee market might change. And so you have to rewrite the commitments with new fees and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I should spend a minute about the differences between Bitcoin and Lightning security. Does that seem like good? Yeah. Yeah. Let's touch on that first and then we'll get into VLS specifically. Sure. Yeah. I'll make this pretty quick. So Bitcoin, the main strategy, if you're an enterprise or anybody doing you know, a lot of Bitcoin transactions is to keep the vast majority of your, of your stash um, cold. So not in the hot wallet at all. So uh, for example, exchanges frequently have 95 or 98% even of their funds cold, which is um, cold storage is a relatively straightforward thing to understand. You can tell when you're doing it right. And it's easy to see how no one can get it as long as, you know, as your security assumptions are correct. Um, so that that's the basic idea behind Bitcoin security. You then make the hot wallet as secure as possible. But the biggest piece of that is making sure there just isn't much in there that doesn't need to be in there. Uh, just like banks don't keep all the money upstairs in the, in the or the, if there even isn't upstairs to any banks anymore. Um, <laughs> So Lightning is different. So uh, a quick example is if you had a large retailer and let's say they had a million channels. uh, So customers had open channels to them to pay stuff. um, And each of those channels had a hundred bucks in it. Suddenly you have a machine or a small group of machines that have a hundred million dollars of funds with keys that are hot. So those (laughs) machines, if you gain access to those machines is one way to put it you can send that money to yourself. And so that's not good. And so we were trying to figure out how can we make that so it, that doesn't happen. Now let's get into what VLS is specifically doing because there's, I think, a lot of parallels between the cold storage you see on chain and and the VLS project. Can you speak a bit just like at a high level about what VLS is working towards? The basic idea of VLS is to take all of the secrets in a node. So fundamentally the keys, but then there are a few secrets as well and extract them and put them in a separate, um, uh, more secure program, uh, which is then connected to the node and has a live connection to the node. So whenever the node needs to do something that involves signing or using a secret somehow, um, it's going to ask the signer VLS to perform that operation for it. Um, VLS then does provides the signature and the node off you go. So already that's better because the secrets are in a smaller program that's running on a more secure computer. Uh, very specifically, it doesn't have thousands of connections to many other nodes. Like it only has a single connection to the the one node that it's protecting. And that connection can, uh, in fact, it's best if it's something like a serial cable or a very uh, very specific internet connection that does not allow routing anywhere else or anybody else to get to it. Um, so your VLS node 
is reducing the attack surface and running in a more secured environment. And so by doing that, you, you fundamentally make it harder for the attacker to get at the keys. But we got to go another step. <laughs> That's the easy part, actually. <laughs> the, um, the problem is the hacker could still take over the node. So the VLS security model that we use, like when we're worrying about how, what's secure and what's not, is we presume that the node has been taken over by a hacker, can do anything he wants um, on that node. So VLS needs to, to protect the user. VLS actually needs to be very thoughtful about what it signs. And that's the validating part, the V in uh, the validate, validating lightning signer. If you're not doing the validations, then you're blind signing, meaning that it's like you're rubber stamping. So you, you, somebody comes to you with a check and you don't even look at it. You just say, sign it. And while that still may be good because the signature stamp isn't you know, generally available, it's not that good because the bad guy can just bring in a bogus check where it pays him all the money or you know, pays to the wrong person, wrong amount, and all that stuff. So VLS is very specifically keeping all of the state about a lightning channel straight in its head. So when it sees any action that the user is taking, so if, if a commitment comes and the commitment represents making an, a payment, so that's actually uh, offering an HTLC to another node, VLS is going to look and make sure that that payment is in your interest. How do we do that? Um, so we have an allow list, which lists all of the destinations that are unconditionally safe in your world. Those can be level layer one, Bitcoin addresses. So if you're a company, your your cold wallet would be there. You would put an XPUB in and list the uh, that address. So you can always send money to your cold wallet because it's configured as an allowable address in the um, in VLS. Another thing is you might have multiple nodes at your company. Think of them as a team. So you know five nodes and they all work together. So each of those nodes would know about the other nodes and would know that it's okay to send money back and forth without any further justification because all of those nodes represent the same uh, uh, financial entity. So it's okay. The, the, the overriding concept inside VLS is looking at what, what, what the beneficial value of a transaction is delivering. So when it goes to do something, we say, well, let's say you're opening a channel. So we can say, ah, we see that you're putting... Um, 0.1 Bitcoin into this channel from your wallet. So you're down 0.1, but we also see that you are gaining 0.1 um, channel liquidity. And so that's to your benefit and those are balanced. And so that's okay. Interesting. Uh, uh, a quick example of where we could cut off something is if we had a mutual close. So the, the node says to us, okay, we want to close this, um, this channel but we notice that the address that it's sending the funds to isn't in either your uh, either the wallet that VLS controls itself, so your online wallet for that node, or in the allow list, um, or asks you. Actually, if those two things don't match, it um, if you're on a device and have a screen, will pop up and say, "Hey, do you mean to you know send this payment uh, or close to this address?" And you can say yes or no. Um, in an enterprise situation, there would be an API there that would connect to something that can approve that sort of exceptional transaction. I see. Um, so is it is it right to say then, similar to how an on-chain uh, hardware signing device is a separate device for signing, this VLS 
you're, you're building the software, but there will be a separate device for people to make signatures. And it, the only difference being that lightning being hot, your, this device is going to be connected to the internet. Is that correct? It's very similar. Um, so with a Bitcoin wallet, you have a treasure or ledger or a cold card, you know, your, your hardware wallet, and you connect it to the laptop, for example, to, to do the, the transaction. In that time, it's actually a little bit hot, right? Because it is connected to your laptop, but it is much harder to attack because it's connected through, again, a serial cable or, you know, USB serial or, or similar. Um, and it has a trusted display. That's another big deal. So a bad guy will take over your computer and he'll show you that he's doing the right thing on the screen, but he's really building a transaction that does some bad thing. Well, your hardware wallet defeats that by showing you what the transaction actually does. Um, so VLS is exactly doing the same thing, but the difference is that a lightning node always needs to be on. So mm -hmm. if your laptop was running a lightning node, you would have your VLS hardware device always plugged in. So it's only different in how often you have it plugged in. It needs to always be there. Um, where, but otherwise, it's, it's completely analogous. Uh, the keys are in the hardware wallet. The hardware wallet has to scrutinize the thing, uh, the, the transaction. The hardware wallet will use a trusted display or trusted channel to approve uh, things if, that, if that's required. Um, and then it you know, makes it so if those, if those conditions are met. Um, VLS is exactly doing those same things. Uh, I would say the amount of state and the amount of complexity is like, <laughs> it's a hundred times more complicated. Though. <laughs> Bitcoin wallets are simple compared to lightning um, wallets because lightning has a bunch of state and there's, it's just, you know, that that's our job. We have to learn all that and do it correctly. I fear we may be going a little bit over my head in terms of the, the technical content here, but I'm going to ask anyways, what is it that makes it, you know, a hundred times more complex to do this on lightning rather than on Bitcoin? Well, to begin with the lightning wallet does all of the layer one transactions, just like a Bitcoin wallet. So you start off with at least that much. Um, the next thing is lightning channels are represented by multi-sig, um, commitments, uh, and so it's like a multi-sig wallet, which is a little bit more complicated than your normal uh, hardware wallet. Um, and then the, the big thing is to understanding that there is a fairly complex protocol that's outlined in the bolts, um, which describes many messages which reflect changing fee markets, um, all sorts of uh, different operational uh so the other side may want to close. You may want to close. You may have to unilaterally close. There may have been a breach, which is, you know, part of the lightning network. And so you have to respond to that um, on and on and on. So it, it just has a lot more protocol related to it. And um, another thing is the lightning network is adding features at a significant rate lately. So, you know, we can go through bolt 12 is emerging. We've got splicing coming up, uh, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, whereas the Bitcoin net network moves more slowly. Uh, so, you know, Taproot was sort of the last big thing that happened to Bitcoin wallets. And that was, you know, a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's been happening for a while. Uh, right. So in order huh. to do VLS, you have to track all of the, you know, current protocol stuff that people want to use because the VLS needs to be up to speed and be able to do that. Yeah. So now we're about five or so years into Lightning. Why, why there's this, why is VLS coming out now? It's now in beta, I believe. What, what's the, 
what's the reason that we've taken five years to get to the point where we have, you know, some external signing device. And because I, I, I wasn't around in the earliest days of Bitcoin, but I believe we did have that before in the first five years. Let's see. Actually, so the Trezor came out in 2013. Okay, so, so it's not far. That's four four years. Yeah, back then I was doing uh, developing a wallet, so they sent me an early model without a case, so that I could you know plug it in, you know, like a developer kit thing, and that must have been 2013 or maybe 2014. Um, so you're right. I mean, it but but it still takes time to develop the hardware and write the software. Now this software yeah. is much more complicated, so it's going to take more time to do that. Uh, the hardware needs to be a little more. Um, it needs more memory because there's more stuff to hold. Um, other than that, I don't think it's... Actually, we should take a step back for a second. VLS can run on a wide range of things. So it's happy to run on small embedded devices that aren't that don't have secure elements and all that, but are still more secure because they're not the main computer and they're you know running a non-standard OS, maybe a primitive OS, which is good because that is harder to attack. Um, mm. So maybe it's... Is it true then that you know, we are now seeing this push towards external signed devices and lightning because now maybe the stakes are just high enough that it warrants this kind of like effort. And, and in Bitcoin, maybe the same was true in the first few years where there wasn't much of a market cap in those first couple of years. It's like, what's, what's the point? <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's exactly it. So if you're exploring lightning and someone says, well, we need to put a thousand dollars in this sample node, um, you know, people will just do it and play with it. And then because your time is more valuable than, than that amount of money. But now let's say your business is sort of getting some traction and you have some good ideas and you're going to, you're asking for investment and you want to scale it up. Um, and then folks realize, well, you're going to have to have $10 million in liquidity in, you know, in a set of you know, lightning nodes. And suddenly the folks who think about this sort of thing say, well, Hey, what are you doing for security? How do we know uh, that you're not simply going to get hacked and they're going to take the, the $10 million. So it's become, an issue as folks have become successful and the business models have grown and, you know, you start to imagine bigger nodes. Uh, Devrend and I got here by imagining what it would be to have a large retailer, as I mentioned earlier, because it's easy to imagine those guys having millions of channels. Uh, now, maybe the retailer doesn't have a million channels. Maybe they partner with someone who does a million channels and then they just have the one big channel between them. But somebody has to do millions of channels. And whoever that is, is going to have hundreds of millions of dollars sort of right off the bat. Um, and so they're hopefully worrying about that and they want to know what, the, what is the best practice. And so we're trying to say the best practice involves VLS. You're going to separate your signing. So you'll have your nodes and they'll be in one computer center. Uh, and they're busy connecting to everything in the world. Very busy, very high performance network, all that kind of stuff. And then in a more secured place, you're going to run a VLS server, which does the signing for those nodes. Um, and it connects to them through uh, very deliberate, very specific connections. So it's not like general purpose, you know, sockets. Uh, nobody else can get to that secured machine. Um, there's a cool separation of concerns in here because the ops team can run the nodes and they should be able to do everything they need to do, like move money from here to there. Let's bring this node up. Let's open a channel. Let's close a channel. VLS is happy with all that stuff because it can see that those operations don't lose you money. Um, but the finance department controls VLS. And so the guys with the fiduciary responsibility 
now can say, I don't know anything about the node operation and I don't need to know, but I can look at the VLS system and see that I have $10 million you know, in hand right now. VLS will certify how much money it thinks it's controlling right now. Um, um. And that's that's good because also there's some policies involved. So some of the security policies we use are uh, velocity limits, for example, because velocity limits are generally useful. They're, they're like circuit breakers or fuses. So even when stuff happens that you didn't think about, so whatever, like a bad address went into the uh, into an allow list or somebody approved something, you might say just limit it to never send more than $10,000 a day. You know, you have to tune that, shrink wrap that to your business model. Um, but that that then says when, when we do get hacked, it's not like, bang, it's all gone. Suddenly, instead, it's you've had a bad day. They've taken, you know, 1% of your funds instead of 90% of your funds. Right. Who's VLS for? Is it for enterprises or are you targeting anyone who's interacting with Lightning? Who Who might use this? Actually, VLS represents custody. So another way of saying what we're doing is we, you know, Lightning has routing and gossip and all these other things going on, but we are extracting just the custody part, just the ability to control the funds and to say, I control these funds. And if I don't trust my node anymore, I can go to a different thing, a different program and get my money because I have the VLS signer and it can recover those funds. So since it represents custody, that actually opens up some new ideas. So uh, an end user might have a lightning uh, node, but the way that node might be implemented is that they, all they really possess is a VLS signer and then they connect to the node which is being operated for them in the cloud. And that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways, because the nodes need lots of network bandwidth and CPU cycles and all this other stuff. And what you want to do is take the least amount of stuff out of there that represents custody and just run that in the user's possession. It might be a phone, it might be a, a you know, a, an embedded device. You know, we're these, this is an SDK for an STM32. There's ESP32 stuff being done by Stackwork and Sphinx for exactly this purpose. And so this is a very low-end thing. This is a consumer uh, would have a somewhat secure device. These are not exotically secure things, um, but they're much more secure than just having something on your uh, laptop because those can be hacked in con with conventional techniques and then um, the bad guy gets away. Yeah. Do you think that we'll see any of the existing hardware signing devices you know, the treasures, the ledgers, the coal cards, any of them venture into this kind of lightning custody space? We hope so. I mean, so we're not hardware guys, but we are clearly writing the software with the intention that it go in hardware. And so in fact, this thing I held up is a little demo board that we use. So we have a proof of concept that runs VLS in this STM32. Um, it's... Uh, it's to prove that you can make it small and run in hardware. If those companies, when they become interested, we're hoping that they, <laughs> they will come talk to us um, and you know use the software and they have more hardware expertise. So, and they can. there's a wide variety of devices. Like some are gonna be much more secure. I mean, there's HSM manufacturors that make the stuff that corporate corporations use now to sign the very, very important things they have. Uh, but HSMs, are difficult to develop for directly because you have to sign NDAs and they require lots of you know special stuff and they're very proprietary. So we're building 
VLS will be able to run there, but initially we're, we're making it so that it runs in more open stuff. But it's mm. definitely designed to run in a variety of hardware uh, encapsulations. That's important. It really wants to be in secured hardware. I see. Now, why, why have you chosen to build VLS in Rust? Is there something, is it is Rust, is it inherently more secure than any other languages? You know, I don't want to trigger <laughs> a religious... Uh, yes, though, it, Rust is more secure. Uh, Rust has a very revolutionary kind of model for how it manages memory and objects. And so it does not require programmers to... to it tells you when you're doing it wrong and it requires you to do it right. And so actually when you first start writing in Rust, you're going to, it's going to take you a lot longer to do some initial things because you learn that Rust is not going to accept something where it's sloppy or loose with respect to who owns which object. It's very clear in Rust. It's enforced by the compiler. Um, and then that, so that makes, means that it doesn't have, you know, buffer overruns and that sort of kind of bug. Uh, those are actually the most common bugs, I think, still in a lot of places. So Rust doesn't guarantee something secure. You can still write insecure things in Rust. You know, you can take the secret and print it to a, a port, and that would be wrong. Um, but it does encourage careful thinking about uh, objects and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the second thing to say is Rust has a much smaller system integration assumption than many other environments. So in Rust, there's this thing called no STD. Uh, no STD means that I'm going to, this program will not assume that it has uh, the standard libraries that you have on all Unix machines. So writing to files, writing to the network, clocks, uh, that sort of stuff are not assumed. And then you then add those explicitly <laughs> based on whatever embedded device you're in. But that model in Rust means that it's really easy to port to embedded devices because embedded devices just say, hey, I'm no STD. I don't give you any of that stuff, so don't ask for it. And then you're bringing your own <laughs> in terms of you know, you've rolled your own. So, so for example, in this device, we wrote our own serial handler so that we could handle the serial port. So it's a simple serial protocol on both ends that sends command uh, requests in one way and responses go the other. Um, we did not, it doesn't use gRPC on that device. Um, Do you think we'll see other teams try and build out similar projects to VLS in, in different languages, similar to how we see a number of different lightning node implementations in different languages? Possibly, but we're really hoping that everybody just uses VLS. I mean, that's the point of being open. Uh, we don't have any proprietary control over it. Uh, people are welcome to come and, uh, you know, you could, if you don't agree with us about something, you can fork it and do it your way. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, we keep that in check. We'd like to keep it all together. Uh, we're currently working with core lightning quite closely. So we're integrated with the current core lightning releases. Um, we work with LDK quite closely. In fact, we use LDK, uh, object definitions and all sorts of stuff. We're basically an LDK extraction, if you will. Um, so we should work very well with any any node which has been built on LDK should be able to have a VLS signing uh, relatively straightforward. We've got a sample node called LNROD up on our repository, which shows that. So it's a, it is a node, a lightning node built with LDK and it uses um, VLS. Um, LND has been going a different way for a while, but 
recently there's a project called L&D Signer and it's being done by uh, NYDIG. I don't know if that, are they, whatever, NYDIG. And they are now working towards a proxy, which will, the proxy will be in the L&D side, but it will convert to uh, VLS uh, protocol. So it will connect to to VLS when that proxy is functional. Um, It's worth saying that with CLN, it's a proxy as well. So what we did with CLN, CLN had a daemon. CLN is made up of a bunch of cooperating processes, uh, one for each channel. There's a master process, yada, yada. Um, But one of the daemons was called the uh, HSM daemon. And as Rusty said, it was aspirational. He said, someday there should be an HSM here, (laughs) but today there's just a process. Well, we saw that and went, oh, wow, okay. So we pulled that daemon out and replaced it with our own. And our daemon simply forwards the request to a connected VLS signer. So the when you're using the CLN thing, we we're, we are supplying a proxy, which looks to CLN just like its own native HSMD, but in fact, all of the security uh, requests are being uh, farmed out to the VLS signer, and then the signatures are being given back. Mm. Why does it make sense to run VLS as an open source project rather than turn it into a company? What's the distinction there? Why did you make that choice? Well, with security stuff, let's see. First of all, the code has to be open. I mean, there's so many shades of what does open source mean, and some of it's control and some of it's visibility. Um, so let's first talk about visibility because it's just a, a no-brainer. I don't think anybody can use a proprietary, opaque, you know, black box thing and where they say, just trust us, this is in here, um, because things are changing too quickly and you have to go in and look uh, to verify yourself. So the code has to be open. Uh, the next question is, well, why not have a proprietary control over it? Why not try to um, extract value <laughs> through <laughs> the normal techniques? And the answer is, uh, Devran and I really want it to succeed. And in order to su- succeed, we have to make it so that anyone who wants something like this is going to be better off using this than writing their own. Now, if we raise the bar and say, well, you know, we're only charging $1,000 a month now, <laughs> pretty quickly they'll be doing the math and saying, well, I think I can write that for less than that. Or I'll, you know. So we don't think that it, we don't want to be involved with the monetization part right now. We really want to get VLS adopted by everyone um, and connected to everyone. And we want everyone to help look at it and make sure it's secure and, you know, file bugs if it's not and add features if there's something you want it to do. I think down the road, the way that uh, myself and DevRandom and other people like us would make money is we would do obvious consulting and uh, adding features for hire and support. There's all this regular kind of support stuff where, you know, if people are using VLS, then they, you know, they're going to need it to be adapted to their situation. They're going to need you to build something that connects to it, you know, on and on and on. And so, you know, we're not going to starve. Uh, we're not in this to try to, you know, this is not about getting rich. Um, this is about fixing a, an important lightning problem and making sure that everybody can, uh, that the lightning network succeeds. We want everyone to be able to use this. Mm-hmm. And now uh, I believe, until now, you've, you've received a couple of grants, correct? That this has been a funding mechanism for, for the meantime? Correct. So we were initially self-funded, for, and maybe that lasted a year or something. Um, and then uh, 
square, now spiral. <laughs> Maybe it was square and then block. And that's anyways, now spiral <laughs> uh, has generously uh, given us a grant. Uh, actually, one a year for two, three years. It, it's, it's been a while and they've been renewing. Um, and Blockstream has also given us a grant. Um, the Blockstream one is also interesting to point out that we're working with Greenlight. So Greenlight is a way for the node to be in the cloud and the user to have as small a piece as possible. Um, so that's the Greenlight vision. And so that's very similar to the VLS vision. And when we talked to them about it for a while, uh, they said, oh, well, VLS should be the signer in the, in, in the Greenlight system. And so it is. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor, Voltage. Voltage empowers engineers to integrate Bitcoin and Lightning Network payments into their business stack with an enterprise-grade experience. The team at Voltage is building the complete tool set so that you can do more than simply spin up nodes, but also understand and interpret your node's data. Their new product, Surge, gives engineers the capability to quickly solve problems and optimize operations. With node insights and visibility through time series data, you get dynamic and complex insights never available before. You can get complete control with insanely fast onboarding, advanced client-side encryption, and zero management infrastructure, making backups, networking, and upgrades simple. Get a free seven-day trial today at Voltage.cloud. One thing I want to talk about is uh, security breaches in Lightning. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, we talk about this, this concern of losing funds and, you know, how you're trying to make custody better on lightning. What are some of the examples of some of the biggest breaches and losses of funds to date in the lightning ecosystem? Cause I don't hear much about it. I hear all the time in crypto, there's some, some DeFi project that gets hacked, but I haven't heard much, uh, in lightning. Actually, to be honest, I haven't either. What I do see a constant drumbeat of is folks who've lost their funds due to uh, operational problems. Uh, so they weren't attacked, but instead their node crashed and then they restored from a backup. And of course, that doesn't work in Lightning because the, the state's even slightly old. Then uh, you, <laughs> you've, you've committed a breach and then your channel funds are taken. Anyway, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of accidental loss right now. But I am not aware of any directed attack uh, that was successful. Now it's quite possible there have been, and the whoever was attacked decided it was uh, either embarrassing or bad for their reputation to admit it. Um, but frankly, that doesn't disturb me. I think Lightning is still very, very early. Like we're the the explosive killer app that's going to make the lightning network explode <laughs> is, is going to happen this, you know, the end of this year or next year, it hasn't happened yet. Um, with Ethereum, you could look and say, Oh, remember crypto kitties. That was an explosively successful thing in 2018. Was it? It brought yeah. the Ethereum network to its knees, but then it made everybody wake up and go, Oh, wow, there's something going on here. And so NFTs came out of that. Um, and so there was a lot of DeFi and other kinds of stuff and now it's easy to argue that they got out past their security <laughs> boundary, if you will, because there have been hundreds of hacks of DeFi. Um, so the Bitcoin maximalists and the, and the Lightning people are different, right? We're trying to move very slowly and carefully, uh, trying not to get the, the cart before the horse and all the excitement 
you know, so that you end up with a very dangerous situation. Uh, so Devrandom and I feel that we have to move really quickly here because there's going to be a point where everyone will need VLS, but we we just need to be really close at the, you know, almost done or really done, or you're starting to really get it going at that point. We're getting there right about now. So I think we're ready for an explosively successful killer app for Lightning. And when the publisher turns around and says, hey, wow, my node is now, you know, accepting $100,000 a day. And I'd love to hear some story about how to make this more secure. Um, we're ready to talk to them. So we've been, you know, Working ahead of time, if you will, <laughs> trying to make sure we're ready. It's been a lot of work. I mean, we've been coding for three and a half years, I think. Yeah. What do you think the explosively successful killer lightning app will be? <laughs> My opinion is this, you know, no more valid than, you know, everybody else. <laughs> so I, I think it's going to be L402. I really do. I've been thinking that for a, a long time. And then recently when that, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, I think it's Lightning Labs introduced the the white paper, uh, but L four two is a concept that can be done with any node with any system. The basic idea of putting a proxy in front of content that today uses a subscription model, and saying, "Well, you can still use a subscription model, but there's an alternative model now. You can do anonymous, one time." instead of renting the movie and you must watch it in the next 48 hours, you're going to say, I'm just going to pay you a nickel a minute to watch the movie. <laughs> and, and I don't have to know who you are. I don't care. I mean, I think it's a great business model and everybody's going to be excited by it. It services a lot of people's needs. Um, so that might be it. It could be a lot of, a things. lot of the excitement about L402s right now seems to be around AI. Do you think that will be the kind of, tool that unlocks L402s for everyone? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, AI has a lot of, of hype right now. So there's a lot of attention and all that kind of stuff. So I, it doesn't hurt to, you know, focus the L402 tool at whatever has attention. Uh, it doesn't weaken it at all. L402 is remarkably general. You can put it in front of anything. And then we hope to see, you know, complete integration with uh, web wallets and stuff like that, uh, which should allow folks to start, was it a la carte instead of, you know, you know what I mean? But instead of having an account at Netflix and arguing about like how many people are in your family, <laughs> it's, uh, instead it's just going to be, give us a nickel to watch the movie. We don't care if you watch it in the next 48 hours or just watch 10 minutes and stop watching and watch something else. Uh, it works better for everybody. Um, but all of a sudden companies like Netflix are going to have, you know, 50 gallon drums filled with nickels filling really fast. And so they're going to need VLS to, to be secure. Uh, right. What other, what other things can lightning node operators do to reduce the kind of operational risks or the risk of an error that they make? As you mentioned, some of the, some of the losses of funds may have been operational errors and not hacks. What other steps can, can operators take to reduce that? operational error surface area. Uh, so I'm going to draw an analogy to being a pilot. Um, so airplanes, there's all different kinds and some are simpler and some are much more complicated, but on the complex end, uh, 
pilots are expected to be trained to use them. You don't just step in and fly a 707. <laughs> you, you do time, you, you do a lot of book learning and there's some time in a simulator. I'm not a pilot, so I don't know. But I know that they're complaining that it takes too long to train pilots lately. Uh, the analogy though, is that lightning nodes are not trivial to operate. There's, you need to understand more stuff. So we need, as developers, need to make them easier to use and work on the documentation, especially, um, and the training techniques to make sure that folks understand uh, what's going on. Uh, the fundamental, I mean, the very basic one that everyone learns right away is in every other computer thing, a really good idea is to have a backup where you back it up as often as you can, and then you can switch to the, you use the backup if something happens to your node, or have uh, a buddy node which is ready to stand in if the primary node goes down. So just everything else uses that. Lightning can't do that, doesn't do that because of the breach problem. And so suddenly the fundamental security model of everything else doesn't apply to Lightning. And so it requires a bunch of training and understanding on how to make that work. Um, so, mm. so if you are a person learning about Lightning, uh, my, my, my recommendation is run it in testnet or run small amounts in mainnet and practice. Go through the chops. Make sure you know how to get liquidity. Make sure you know, understand how to make a payment. Make sure you know how to uh, do various node operations. Like this channel doesn't seem to be good, so I should you know, uh, close it and open a different channel. Um, there's a lot to learn in there. Operating a Lightning node is harder than operating um, a Bitcoin node, for sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have to Have get you there. Ever seen, do you see a, a point in time in which it's no longer going to require the training that it does. Like I know in the, in the airline example, you still, we still have pilots, but maybe there is a day in which we have autopilot and there's no training required. Is that something that we can get to in lightning? Absolutely from the consumer end. So if I want to make lightning payments and I'm not interested in running it, you know, I don't know any of those words, <laughs> It's, you know, it's a little bit like the phone and the internet. Like in the old days, you had to understand the internet and how to dial up and, you know, how to, you know, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And nowadays, just everything on your phone uses the internet and you don't even think about it. And people who don't understand it doesn't matter. They can still click the icon and chat with their friends or exchange stuff. So from the end user thing of making a payment, I think we're going to completely wrap that. You won't even have to know it's lightning and you can do it. On the very other end of the spectrum, though, um, in the enterprise where your business is accepting, you know, lightning payments, uh, I mean, a good example is merchant payments now. Those, that's not free. I mean, all merchant systems require a small, small amount of development support to get it set up. And then there's someone who tends to it and can debug it. And those merchant things fail all the time. <laughs> and, and people are panicked because we can't accept credit card payments right now. And so, you know, really good stores, like if you go to Target or Walmart, their credit card stuff is being run by a very, very thoughtful, trained, highly uh, you know, experts who know what they're doing. Uh, and Lightning will be just like that. Um, you know, mm. different, but you're going to have to have expertise and do it correctly if you want to be on the enterprise, the big business side, and receive a lot of money. Uh, an interesting Midpoint is, well, what about small retailers, coffee shops, all those guys? How will that work for them? Um, 
I think the emerging answer is that we're going to see lightning service providers. So these are going to be companies that bundle all of the lightning operations. Like they know what version of software they're running. They know which features you're using and they know all that stuff. Um, but the store owner will then utilize that to send and receive lightning payments, mostly receive. But here's the important part. If they use VLS, then the store owner can have custody. So the store owner would still have some form of VLS encapsulated device. Um, and that right. keeps their funds safe, meaning they don't have to trust whoever their LSP is. The LSP cannot steal their money. That's really different than today's merchant accounts. If if your merchant provider wants to steal your money, they obviously can, <laughs> but then you're going to have to go prove and, you know, and argue and people do. Uh, with Lightning, uh, it's possible to make it. So if you're using VLS, you have custody of your funds and you have, you could go to a different provider and use your same node and same VLS, uh, sorry, signer and use your funds there. That's the vision. Wow. So what, what changes do you think that introduces to the merchant landscape if now merchants no longer have to argue with PayPal or argue with whoever about whether or not a transaction was valid or, you know, to unfreeze their funds if they're operating in an industry that isn't, isn't approved. Um, what changes will we see to commerce now that a merchant can fully control their funds? Well, just like the internet disintermediated um, a whole bunch of middlemen for the travel industry, and we, you know, go through the you know, book selling industry. Unfortunately, um, and, uh, I'm hopeful that Lightning and Bitcoin will disintermediate the ugly parts of banking. Right, the part where. Um, they hold the money. They give you a hard time about everything. <laughs> uh, and basically, it seems like it's impossible to you know send money or receive money without working with an uncooperative, large, you know, surly company that regularly pays you know hundreds of million dollar fines for doing bad things to their customers. Uh, not saying right. Yeah. Anyway, and not mentioning any names, but I think it's all of them actually. <laughs> so. It should empower the merchant because the merchant has choices. They're no longer, you know, tied to a merchant account. Um, and it should hopefully dis, you know, disintermediate uh, the, the rest of the credit card infrastructure. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's the goal uh, because it'll work better. It really, it will. Uh, it can't work yeah. worse. Do you think there are any changes that we'll see to the structure or the kind of composition of the lightning network when we have some of these like custody improvements enabled by VLS? Like, will we see the actual structure or the connections between different nodes on the network? Will that look different? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I don't think anybody is really quite sure what it's going to look like. <laughs> mm. And that's okay. There's arguments. Um, and so we're working very hard to make sure that there are not centralizing pressures. What we want to make sure is that you don't have to do it in a centralized way. Um, some, some of us feel it's okay if something is a little bit centralized in the early going, especially as long as it's not compelled to be centralized. So, you know, it's okay to have some sort of service initially, which isn't, you know, completely distributed in my, this is me talking here. It's my opinion because it, the, 
the merchants will have options going forward. And so different things will emerge. Today, uh, your credit card agreements don't allow you to consider other things. So it's locked in by the, by the powers that be. Um, so the merchants are not fighting. They're not negotiating in a good faith place with other people who, you know, who are making, you're basically over a barrel and you either do credit cards or you don't. Um, what now, will the connectivity um, look like? It might be more centralized. Yeah. It might not. Um, we don't know yet. No, I mean, a really big question is, is there money to be made here by regular folks running routing nodes, for example? So uh, similar to to mining uh, other cryptocurrencies or doing any of the DeFi things that you could do to try to get some return on your uh, your capital. Uh, certainly you can run a routing node and you put capital in um, and then you get some payback. But late, you know, so far we have not seen that being very rewarding. It's hard to really pay for your effort to do that. Um, I think that's actually good to be honest. I, I don't think we should have a gold rush right now with just, you know, a whole bunch of people trying to run it and basically competing to set up more stuff that they don't understand. <laughs> Cause that's where you get, you know, these bad outcomes where people who really you know, weren't thinking about it, got really in deep. Uh, right. And, um, you know, do you think then that we look at the Lightning Network today, it's 5,000 Bitcoin public capacity, an unknown amount of private capacity. Are there people who are sitting on the sidelines who are wanting to participate, but have not yet because something like VLS hasn't existed? I think so. Um, one thing that we see, and I'm going to leave out all the names here because I'm always nervous, you know, don't want to, but we've been having a, a large number, number of meetings lately where we're talking to someone who has been asked to come talk to us because the compliance department, this, you know, the, the risk management team <laughs> on their effort has said that they don't like that lightning node. <laughs> it looks dangerous <laughs> and they're right. Um, and, you know, we say, yes, that that's right. Um, so what you should do is, you know, continue using Lightning and understanding it and so on and so forth and start working with VLS to understand how we can fit it into your into your enterprise. Um, so, yeah, I think right. as the, the amount of money increases, you know, if there's no money at all, then there's no danger and no one cares. But as soon as there's money to be stolen, the people who steal money will come. Uh, so you need to increase your security game. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about multi-sig. This uh -huh. is featured uh, throughout your website. Um, I want to talk about the importance of having multiple, multiple signers being able to manage a lightning node. Why is that? Why does that matter? Let me first distinguish. There are two completely different things <laughs> and one, one will happen much sooner. And let's call that alternative signing or cooperative signing. And then the other one, I'll avoid using multi-sig because okay. uh, uh, the other one will be multi-party signing or, or uh, multi-party okay. computation. And that one's a little more distant, uh, but also very exciting, but for different reasons. So the first one is a cooperative signing idea. So let me outline this very quickly by saying it's possible with a small device like this one or something on your phone to store the state you would store it on the device as well, but you could also keep it in the cloud. And so there is a protocol for that that VLS uses um, when it connects to a, 
LSS or VSS signer. So the VSS signer is probably the one to talk about, which is a, a versioned uh, uh, something store. <laughs> and so it's in the cloud and the signer is sending encrypted state and there's some uh, authentication. So the signer knows that it's getting the right state back. Um, and that gives you a couple things. One is it gives you a backup. So if your device goes completely missing, again, like Bitcoin, you would need to know a seed. So there's going to be this one-time seed storage thing. But if you know the seed, you can get all of the other state from the cloud and then pick back up where you right where you were. But there's also a, a different thing you could do. <laughs> you could have two devices. One might be your phone, for example, and the other might be in your house. And either of them can do the operation. Uh, so that gets you some redundancy, but it gets you a lot of flexibility too, because if there is a, a bit something where you have to approve something, it might depend where you are. Uh, one, one thing might be better. Uh, it's a good, oh, for example, for receiving funds, it'd be nice to have something always on in your house because it, you know, you want to give me money? Great. <laughs> I'll sign that. Um, whereas <laughs> on your phone, it might, your phone, it's very difficult to have what either a node or the signer or anything running all the time on a phone. Both Apple and Android aren't very good at keeping stuff running in the background. So they're intermittently connected at best. So, but a phone might be a great way to make payments though. So you want to authorize a payment to go out. That's what you do on your phone. So those two devices could be the same VLS state. If you want to think of it that way, they're just alternate engines, but they're using the same state and they're coordinating rendezvousing via VSS, the, the cloud storage that's storing the state. So that's coming up relatively soon. Everybody's interested in it because it gives you backups and it gives you some nice alternatives. You can say, use one device for receiving and another one for sending. Let me talk about the other thing though, <laughs> the multi-party sure. thing. Now the multi-party thing is really an enterprise thing. So if you want to make something even more secure, you, so the first thing you did was you took the secrets out of the node and you put them in a, a secure uh, a computation environment and you made it, you, you know, you put barbed wire around it and guard dogs and stuff. So, but even better than that is split it into five things and none of them has what it takes to do the signing itself. They have to cooperatively sign. So it might be that three of them have to be online and cooperative in order to get signatures happening. And now the bad guy can attack and get either take two of them offline or even steal outright two of them, and they still can't steal your money. So that becomes extremely secure. An enterprise would likely put those five cooperating uh, signers in different locations and use possibly different tech stacks to do it, different hardware and maybe even different surrounding operating systems because that makes the attack harder. If they're all identical and I find some way into one, I've got some way into all of them. But if they're all a little different, uh, then the bad guy has to come up with a different attack and he needs to get to three of them. So now you've really made that job uh, difficult. You've made that a, to be a very secure system. Now to do that though, we have to be able to do all of the signing operations and store all of the necessary secrets using multi-party computation. Um, so that's where Taproot and Musig and Frost come in. So those are all ways for a group of people to generate a signature where none of them has sole uh, ability to generate the, the signature. Uh, there's a lot of work in that area because it's not some of the, the 
inners of the Lightning protocol do not lend themselves directly to multi-party computation. Um, but the VLS team, made, we, we have a, a matrix chat group and uh, we have folks from uh, all, all over the place, from all the different ventures. So there's folks from Spiral there, there's folks from Core Lightning there, and, th and these issues are being discussed and we're coming up with solutions. Uh, I'm actually not the most, uh, the best resource <laughs> on the, the, the ins and outs of Frost, uh, recursive music versus Frost. Um, but what I see happening is that we're finding ways to handle some of the problems um, and make it work in a multi-party computation thing. And I would say, I think in a year's time, we're going to start to see that, that happening. Uh, there's a bunch of foundational stuff that needs to get settled in. People need to, uh, everyone talks about Taproot, Taproot and Musig and Frost all the time, but, but especially Musig and Frost are actually fairly new and people are working very hard to understand them and get enough track record with them so that they feel that those solutions are secure. Uh, one thing that the experts talk about a lot is whether there's a, a security proof for the particular recursive proposal, you know, yada, yada, yada. And in most cases, there is not yet a security proof. Um, so at some point, someone will do that proof and then everyone can go, yes, okay, now it's, we know it's secure and we know that there isn't going to be uh, a problem there. Mm. And what changes do you think multi-sig in either of its forms ha will have on the Lightning Network? Like what, what does that actually do? Is it, it makes enterprises maybe more secure? It does, it does it change the way they behave? Does it change the way consumers behave? We feel it's best if, the, if your peer, your counterparty can't tell that you're doing that. So it will look exactly the same um, hmm. when you're using it. So it does not change the Lightning Protocol. We wanna do the multi-party multi computation thing, especially on using the existing protocol. Um, now, uh, an important thing is happening. Uh, Lightning Network is moving to adopt Taproot, so it's going to change the way it, some of the internals work, um, and it gets a bunch of advantages from that. And that part is getting designed right now to make it so that you can do multi-party computation without revealing that it's multi-party computation, uh, right. at least until there's a unilateral close. Sometimes with the unilateral closes, um, there can be a trade-off where if we make it so that you could tell that it was multi-party, uh, you make it a little bit simpler. Uh, and unilateral closes are f hopefully uh, less frequent. Uh, right now, they've, there's been a bunch of them, and we're work trying to make sure that uh, the different nodes are working to make less forced, close, forced closes. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor, Stackwork. Stackwork is a lightning-powered platform for generating high-quality transcripts of all your audio or video content. They combine AI engines and hundreds of human workers all over the world who are paid over the Lightning Network to assemble these transcripts. And that's what lets Stackwork create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. To see the results for yourself, you can check out my personal website where I host transcripts for all my podcast episodes. If you want to learn more about Stackwork, visit stackwork.com. That is S-T-A-K-Work.com. Do you foresee uh, in the VLS project, do you think that you will at some point venture into hardware? I know you're focused on software right now, but is there a, 
is there a path for you to, because you mentioned your, your very first kind of training was in hardware. Yeah, well, that was with uh, through-hole components <laughs> that went, you know, you drilled holes in the boards and stuck them through. <laughs> uh, surface mount came, I, I'm really old, yeah. No, I, we don't, uh, we're going to, we would work with a hardware partner to do that. And I think the partnership is be sort of obvious, right? I can imagine all kinds of companies that already sell a related project. So they have marketing arms and they know how to package and all this other stuff that we don't know anything about. And we've actually are going to solve the hard part for them though, which is we're going to have the, you know, uh, a, a time tested, uh, set of software that they can trust uh, to put in there. I think customers will be more comfortable, in fact, if a product has a open source standard component running inside it, rather than something proprietary from the vendor. Um, some of them are proprietary now, some are open, but almost none of them share the exact same software with each other. And I think that would actually be better. So if I were buying a hardware device and it used VLS, um, and but I knew that there were other hardware devices that also use VLS, uh, it would make me feel much better because I would know that, it, well, if I end up not liking this hardware, I can switch to one of those, but I don't have to like start over. I can you know, reuse my same stuff. So I want to ask one question about your roadmap. <clears throat> On your site, you mentioned the debut of a VLS enhanced stack work. Uh, and you mentioned Stackwork at the beginning of the episode. I'd love to hear more about that if you're able to share. Sure. So uh, Stackwork slash Sphinx, uh, those are the same engineering team <laughs> who we work with. And then I'm a little weaker on the marketing uh, side of you know, which, uh, which things are associated with which company, though. Their interest is in providing lightning services to small merchants or people doing small tasks. So it would be used for sending tips or small amounts of money for different reasons. So some of them might be like social networking and other might be, I'm paying you to do something for me. Uh, I, so I'm a little unclear on those, that business model, but I know all about the, what they're trying to do technically. So they've built a uh, ESP32 board, which runs VLS and connects, uh, I believe via Wi-Fi to uh, a cloud, a, a node that's running in the cloud. Um, and so Paul, the, uh, the founder of Sphinx and Stackworks uh, tweeted, if you look, and it might've been almost a year ago, uh, a picture of a wall wart plugged into his house that was actually doing that. Um, at TabConf last year, I believe they did a workshop and they you know, gave out 30 of these devices. Um, so these are consumer devices, they're not expensive. I mean, maybe it's $10 apart, something something cheap. And probably if the quantity goes up, it, <laughs> it falls a whole bunch more. Um, so the idea there that they're running with is to use VLS to minimize the custody. In other words, distill the custody down into the smallest possible thing so they can run it in the smallest device most inexpensive device. Um, and that would provide lightning services to, to their community. Right. And then their community is now in full control of their funds. Correct. They don't have to trust Stackwork and Sphinx. Right. And that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that is very cool. Um, what other, what other items? I know you have a few other things on your roadmap listed, but, uh, anything else you're particularly excited about that you want to share with folks today? Um, well, I'll, I'll speak more generally. Um, so VLS can run in really tiny devices, really big devices. Um, what we've been doing 
currently, originally was writing it in the simplest possible way. So you write the most straightforward code to implement the VLS uh, validation and, and signing and stuff. But we then need to tune it for particular <laughs> runtime uh, choices. So we just went through a, uh, a milestone where we tuned it for low resource signers. Um, and so that means take the same software, which was written simply, and now do the optimization to make it run in much less RAM. So you're looking for, you know, where can I reduce duplication? Where can I compress something? Where can I uh, adjust the lifetime of something so I don't have to hold it any longer? Um, and that was critical for stack Stackwork and uh, and Sphinx because they're running on small devices. Um, on our roadmap in the very near future is probably throughput tuning. So that's the other end. Um, so if you're a uh, large retailer, uh, the obvious question is, uh, how many payments per second can I receive <laughs> if I'm using VLS? And so we need to go tune that and make that as fast as we can make it. And then we need to know what the number is so we can tell people, well, if you run on this kind of hardware, we can go this fast. Um, How fast do you think? You so can that's ahead it? of us. <laughs> uh, we, we measure and then we understand, and then we go, you know, make it better is, is the way we work. I, I don't want to, to guess. Yeah. Um, that's fair. It, I think it's fine. Actually, when you look at, um, the amount of money that people spend on keeping things secure and building, uh, there's plenty of resources at the high end. In other words, you're not worrying about running on, you know, some tiny, with tiny amount of RAM. You can have everything in RAM if you want, uh, and you probably will. So it's a, we want to be able to be tuned either way. Um, another one is channels are fundamentally independent. So if I've got a million channels, um, I should be able to do, many, many of them in parallel, you know, sending or receiving payments. And uh, and that's attractive. We have to make sure in the code, though, that, that we don't have any hidden uh, choke points or other things like that. And that's the, actually the kind of work I had done for all of my consulting before uh, crypto even. Um, so it, it's fun to do. It's interesting work. Um, and there's advantages that come. I mean, if you can tune your stuff so it goes faster than everybody else's, that people will go with your your product or your thing. Right. So, all right. I want to finish this off with a couple rapid fire questions for you. You ready? Okay. <laughs> First question, if you could only hold one asset for the next decade and it could not be Bitcoin, what asset would it be? <laughs> uh, probably Zcash. Interesting. I haven't heard Zcash before. Um, if you, is there one book that has meaningfully changed your view of the world? Oh, Dawkins, uh, The Selfish Gene. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Uh, if you mean with in crypto or technology, it'd be any, any book. maybe, but yeah, that's nah, still Dawkins. And you know, it even affects how we think about programming sometimes. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to builders in the lightning ecosystem, what would that be? Um, start small, get involved, practice, and work your way up. Uh, don't spec out some giant thing that's all complicated without any of it working. That's not the way to get at this stuff. So you start with just the, you know, and start, yeah. Start small, work large, keep practicing, keep learning. Uh, nice. And then finally, who is one builder in the Bitcoin or Lightning ecosystem that you'd like to give a shout out to for doing great work? <laughs> 
I can't do just one <laughs> because, uh, well, actually, it's important to say VLS, our primary um, challenge as a team is that we have to integrate with all the other teams. So it's a really important thing. Like we, they have to, we have to know how to do it without uh, stubbing too many toes. People have to make changes to their node code to work with us. And so we got to, we got, I think we're very lucky to work with, uh, you know, multiple different teams with all with really good people. Uh, so the core lightning team is top notch. The LDK team, which we're uh, meet with every week, top notch uh l d guys we've known the longest and they're really great um and then i've been meeting and learning uh, meeting the async guys and they're they're wonderful and the um the cool thing about the lightning world right now is although everybody's competing in some sense we really are very cooperative we get together and we talk about things if you find a problem in somebody else's thing you don't embarrass them you instead work with them to get you know help them get it fixed we all want everyone to succeed um yeah it sounds all very you know yada yada but it's true it really is like that and vls we're of no use all by ourselves we have to run with a node and with other things so vls is a uh, pilot fish and it needs a shark mm. <laughs> so we have to work with the other groups and i i feel very lucky to work with these teams they're very very uh, smart people working very productively and doing really good stuff it's very exciting yeah i've heard i've heard from multiple implementations and multiple teams that there, there is this collaborative nature this really like it, it it really is a collaborative kind of community right now which is very cool you're right yeah it absolutely is yep all right before you go uh where can folks go to learn more about you and vls so the simplest thing is our website, uh, vls.tech, so vls.tech, um, and that has all the links to all the other things. So if you're interested in documentation, there's documentation links in there. Um, there's links to the repository. Um, there's to the demos and proof of concepts of things. Um, maybe most importantly, there's links to the matrix groups. So if you have more questions or are interested and want to get involved, but don't even know how come come chat with us and we'll uh we'll see how you fit in and or if we can solve your problem uh, awesome thank you so much for taking the time to chat today i learned a ton thank and, you Kevin. Uh, it was a blast hope we can do it again soon thank you for having us yeah absolutely in the last 30 days you guys sent in forty-two thousand five hundred ninety-one sats and that came in from 41 different supporters now, I just posted an episode a couple of days ago, so I haven't had any new comments since then, but I can't wait to see what you guys send in this week.